Hey, I want to welcome everybody here today, and uh, I want to say especially welcome out to our uh, North Garnet, or we're at North Garnet here, uh, our Stone Canyon and Verdigris campus, as well as anybody online with us. And uh, hey, if you're a first-time guest with us, uh, we especially want to say welcome. Uh, glad that you are, are with us today. As we're going to be starting a, a new series today called Grace is Greater, and uh, I, uh, I hope you'll be here with us throughout this series. I think it's going to be a great series as uh, we really take a, a look at God's grace and how that uh, impacts our lives in, in so many ways. And so uh, we're building this series off of this book called Grace is Greater by uh, Kyle Eidelman. He's one of our guys over at uh, Southeast Christian Church over in Louisville, Kentucky. If, uh, if you want to get that book, I, I highly recommend it. It's a great book. And uh, I know some of our uh, groups, some of our life groups and classes are actually doing a study uh, through this as we go through the se- uh, this series. And, and uh, so I definitely encourage you to, to get in one of those life groups and, and track along with this uh, as, uh, as we go through this. All right. So anyway, uh, and so today we're going to be talking about grace is greater than all of our circumstances. And this is kind of a, a launching pad sermon. All right. And we're just going to kind of uh, do a little broad brush on on grace today and, and define a little bit, and then over the next several weeks, we'll, we'll deep, uh, jump in a little bit deeper as we talk about grace. And maybe we need to start off with doing just that, just defining, what, what are we talking about when we talk about grace? A.W. Tozer, great scholar uh, of the past, he, he said it this way, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. All right, we're the undeserving, getting the benefits from God, you know, we just don't deserve it. He goes on, he says, it's used to us sinful men is to save us and make us sit together in heavenly places to demonstrate, hear that, demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we receive good from God that we don't deserve, and in turn, we get to display that good to the world around us. All right, that's kind of where Tozer takes it. This uh, receiving that which we don't deserve, and then in turn, we get to dispense that same grace to others. I I think he's right on. Uh, Matter of fact, over in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews talks about it in verse 15 when he he says it this way, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Another version says, make sure nobody misses the grace of God. I love that. Don't, don't let anybody miss it, all right? And that's kind of where we're at. We don't want anybody to miss out on God's grace, that's what we're doing in this series. That's why it's one of our core values is that uh, we want to be a grace-filled church. We want people to experience God's grace when they come into this place. But that verse goes on. It says, we don't want anybody to miss it, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If we miss God's grace, the tendency is that we become, we we lean towards becoming bitter, and that bitterness, that negativity is infectious, right? You have those co-workers, you have those neighbors, you have those family members, it just takes one to change the whole dynamic of of a company, of an office, of a family, And that tends to happen, that attitude tends to happen when somebody misses grace, when they don't understand grace. And listen, grace 
is greater than all of our circumstances. And so we, like the writer of Hebrews, we want to open our eyes to see God's grace. It's bigger than we often think because I think we confine it to, to the forgiveness of sins, which is awesome. It's a, a wonderful display of God's grace. And we're going to talk about that, but it's so much bigger than that. We can see grace every day in every circumstance. Earlier this year, uh, we had to buy a new refrigerator, and the uh, first refrigerator we actually had to buy since we got married 24 years ago, all right? And so we, uh, I went to the appliance store, found the, the refrigerator we wanted, and, and I was sitting down with the uh, uh, little sales guy. His name was Joey. And as I sat there, we were talking about stuff, he just asked me, he says, are you a tither? I wasn't expecting that in an appliance store, you know? I'm like, yeah, I, I am. And he just said, I thought so says, I just have this feeling that I am supposed to have this delivered to your house for free. And then he stopped and he said, I love it when God does that. <laughs> and I, in my head, I thought, I love it when God does that too. I mean, he just saved me 50 bucks, you know. Grace. I mean, that's just a moment, a little glimpse of God's grace that sometimes we, we overlook. And that's just a simple way to see it. Ed Dobson was a minister, a very prominent minister in a large church, uh, when seven years ago he was, uh, uh, he was uh, letting, known that he had developed ALS. And many people tracked his story. He put it online, Ed's story, and you could just track it along. And, and he lost that battle in 2015. But there was one point as he's sharing his story that he, he said this, there are many things for which I am not grateful. I can no longer button the buttons on my shirt. I can no longer put a, on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my right hand above my head. I can no longer write. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand. And now even that is becoming a challenge. And over time, all of these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? And he says, so much. Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed. Lord, thank you that I can walk to the bathroom. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Uh, Lord, thank you that I can still dress myself. Lord, thank you that I can still drive my car. Lord, thank you that I can still walk. Lord, thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on. I have learned in my journey with ALS to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life and for the many things I can still do. He continued to see grace, God at work in his life. Grace shows up in all of life's circumstances. Did you hear that? Grace shows up in all of life's circumstances if we'll just open our eyes to it. I think that may be where Paul was going at over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Familiar verse. Uh, there he challenges those who are uh, listening to him or reading his uh, letter. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances 
circumstance. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this, uh, he's writing to a church there in, in the city of Thessalonica who was a young church. That many of them were, were newer believers, new to their faith. And in the midst of this new fledgling faith, many of them were, were being persecuted on top of that. And so they're trying to grow. They're trying to figure it out. At the same time, they're, they're facing obstacles and challenges in their in their faith, and he challenges them with this, encourages them with this, to give thanks in all circumstance. Now, the word thanks here, all right, uh, in the Greek is uh, eucharisto, and right in the middle there, you have this word charis, which is the word grace. I think, it seems to me that when Paul is telling them to be thankful in all circumstances. It seems to me he's saying, don't miss the grace in all circumstances. Recognize the grace in all the circumstances that you face. Now, that, this, this can be a tough verse. I, I, I get this. For some who have gone through horrible situations, horrific uh, circumstances in your life, and they really, how am I supposed to give thanks in all these circumstances. And that's probably the key right there, that it's in the midst of the circumstance. He doesn't say for the circumstance because we realize that many go through hard, hard times. But it's in the midst of that circumstance, whatever it might be, to still have an eye open for God's grace. How is he at work even in the toughest of times. So again, we today, we want, to, we want to take a look at grace. What does grace look like? If we're supposed to have our eyes open for if we're supposed to see it, well, what does it look like? And, and I just want to highlight just several ways I believe we can see God's grace in our lives. Because I think grace looks like God. It's one of his attributes. It's just who he is not something that he does, it's, it's just who he is. And, and every, every example of grace in this world stems from God. Even when a non-believing person does something good and grace-filled, it springs out of their nature being created in the very image of God. So anytime we see grace, we get a little glimpse of God and what he's doing in this world. Now, first way I think that we see it, and it's probably the most obvious and one we mentioned earlier, is that it's in his forgiveness. It's in his forgiveness that we see his grace. That's why we, we come together every week to, to remember, to celebrate this life we have that's been forgiven. We've received that which we don't deserve, forgiveness of sin goes all the way back to the beginning. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Adam and Eve have sinned, and God comes to them in the cool of the evening, and he finds them. And, and then after sin has been discovered and their shame has been revealed, it says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now you might think, well, that's kind of a weird verse about forgiveness. What God was doing there is he was setting a pattern that there would have to be a price paid for sin, 
Blood would have to be shed, and for, here, for this moment, it was the blood of animals that were, were killed, skins taken to create garments to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. And as you walk through the Old Testament, you see that pattern over and over again. You see the, the sacrificial system that's set up for God's people, that the, sacrifice, the sacrifices would need to be made for the sins of the people, all the way to the New Testament when Jesus comes. And Jesus would go to the cross, and he would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, for our forgiveness, so that we could receive grace, so we could receive that which we don't deserve. And that is available to everyone who will believe in Jesus, and that's grace. I think grace also looks like his blessing. Grace also looks like his blessing in our life. As believers in Christ, I, 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 would, I would define our lives or, or describe our lives as a blessed life, a life we have to live with joy and hope and what's to come. Though sometimes I believe we fail to see it, we tend to get locked into our first world problems at times because we... We quit looking through the lens of grace in this life. John 10.10, 10, though, Jesus made it apparent there. He says, I came that you might have life abundantly. That's why I came. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you would have life and you should have it abundantly. That's, that's what he desires for us, this blessed life. That's what he wants us to experience. And sometimes we do get, we do get our focus off on the blessings that God does bring into our life. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Honduras on a missions trip through with, with our church here. Several from our church family went down there to, to work with Jim and Terry Riley, some of our missionaries uh, down there. And, and uh, about halfway through the week, we, we'd been spending most of our time in Tegucigalpa, the capital city, and working with college students. But about halfway through the week, they, they lined it up for us to go up into uh, some of the mountain areas to be able to work with uh, a certain tribe of people that they've been trying to reach out to and trying to establish a church. And, and, uh, and so we, we took off, and uh, we had two vehicles, and I was driving one, and Jim was driving the other one. He was in the lead car. I was in, following him. And if you know Jim, some of you work in the missions area, you know, know him, but he's a crazy driver, okay? I'll just, I'll just say that. He just, he's crazy, all right? Love you, Jim, if you watch this sometime, you know, but anyway. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I mean, third world country, trying to follow him, and then it gets nighttime. I mean, it's dark, you know, third world roads, you know, and I mean, I'm white knuckle trying to stay with him. And all I knew is that night we were trying to get to a family's farm. They, they were going to allow us to stay at their farm. That's how it was kind of described to us. And so we're, we're just trying to get there. And finally we get there, we pull in, and uh, all we can kind of see is where our headlights go. And it's like, okay, where are we at? We get to the building, we get inside the building, and here's where we're going to sleep. And, you know, it wasn't anything nice at all. We're like, okay, it's a place to sleep. And I'm tired because I'm stressed. And uh, so... So we have our, we, we spend the night there. We get up the next morning, and I, I remember walking out onto the porch of this little building, and this farm we were on was an orchard, and it was lush, and there's fruit trees all around, lemon trees, and all kinds of, it's like, whoa, 
this is awesome. And, and they, had, they had chopped off a cluster of bananas and had it hanging on the front porch for us. We could just peel off a banana, you know. It's like, this is awesome. And I just remember thinking, God, this is so cool. You know, I thought we were, you know, at a pig farmer's. I didn't know where we were. And now we're at an orchard. We're like in the Garden of Eden, man. This was awesome. Sometimes we go through life and we go through darkness. We go through challenges and then we open our eyes. God might just bless you. We need to keep our eyes open because sometimes that's the way we see God's grace is in the blessings that he provides for us. That's grace. I think another way we see his grace is uh, in his protection. In God's protection over us in this life that we are going through. God's Word on a number of occasions describes Him as our protector. One of those most known places is over in Psalm 91, a whole chapter about it. And it starts with this in verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see, the, the writer of the psalm here, he's just painting this picture of this most high, almighty God who is our shelter, our refuge, our fortress. It's in him that, that he says he finds his protection. Now, some would think about God as protector and think, well, well then why do, why do so many bad things happen even to those who are believers? If he's our protector, he's, he's hiding us like, as the Bible describes, under his wing, you know, well then why do we still face struggles and challenges in this life? I think maybe it's because God has a different priority than we do. I think maybe he sees it a little different. It's like over in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, we alluded to this even just last week, when Jesus is about to, to send out his disciples two by two to take the gospel to surrounding cities, and, and his encouragement, his pep talk was not really that good, <laughs> really. I mean, Jesus probably could have done a little bit better. He, he, he tells them, hey, get ready, you're probably going to be persecuted, you might even be imprisoned, you know, it's just, you're gonna, you might get kicked out, you know, it's just, but it's okay, you know, it's like, oh, okay, let's, woo, you know. But he, he says in there, that's the place where he says, don't, don't fear those who can only kill the body. Fear the one who can kill both body and soul. He says, don't worry about the physical. I can take care of the, the spiritual. You, you hear a little bit of a different priority there. It's over in John 17 where Jesus is praying for his disciples and his prayer for them is protect them from the evil one. It's not protect them from all the calamity and trials of this life. Protect them from the evil one who wants to take their soul to hell. He prays that for us. You see, his priority is our soul is eternal, not temporal. And so when we look at God as our protector, he is protecting us to eternity, our soul. He wants to get us to heaven with him. 
through judgment. Romans talks about that. He protects us in judgment, that he's, he's there. He's wanting to see us through to the end. He's our protector. Oh, we're going to face trials. Oh, we're going to face physical trials and emotional challenges, but he wants to protect us, protect our soul through what he's done through Jesus Christ. He's our protector, and we need to see that because that's grace. But along with that is our next one is we see grace in his power. We see grace in his power. God's power is evident every day. Matter of fact, we just talked about this a few weeks ago whenever we were talking about in the Think series and the God of all creation. Tomorrow, it's going to be the awesome eclipse, you know. Hopefully, you got your cool glasses ready to go and you're going to see the eclipse of God. And to me, that's just God showing off a little bit. <laughs> and we can see that. We can see him every day. But I think his power is so much more grand than just what we see in his creation. Peter talks about over in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, he says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire his power god's power his divine power makes life possible and better yet not just life physical life but but life as a follower of hope and joy his power makes that possible we are empowered and how's that happen he says it's through the knowledge of him who called us it's through that knowledge of jesus what he's done and the life he's called us to that empowers us for this life second corinthians 13 4 paul there he says this for he was crucified jesus was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of god for we also are weak in him but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. The same power that took Jesus, brought him here, sustained him through this life, took him to a cross in his weakness, that power that then, then allowed him, enabled him to endure the cross, go to the grave, and then ultimately that power was displayed in his resurrection, okay? That power empowers us for this life. And so we can press on when life is hard, when difficulties come. We press on because we have the power of God in us. And that's grace. As he empowers us for this life. Leads us to another one, his direction. His direction in our life. Ever came to a fork in the road and, oh God, which way do you want me to go? And you pray and you pray and finally you feel like God leads you one way or another. God gives us direction in this life and this new life that we have. Proverbs chapter 3, very familiar verse over there, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You ever done that? <laughs> in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths or make straight your paths. We are to no longer lean on our own understanding. Just do life like it seems like it should be done. Because in our humanness, we make a lot of bad decisions, right? Anybody want to give, give testimony to that? Because <laughs> we all can, all right? 
lean not on our own understanding. Instead, what are we to do? We are to trust in Him, acknowledge Him. And when we do that, He will make our path straight. How do we trust Him? We have, that means we put all of our confidence in Him. We depend on Him. We, we trust. We, we go to Him when we have decisions to make. As we go through this life, we go to Him first goes along with the next part, acknowledging God, recognizing that he is God. I'm making an acknowledgement that he is God and that he wants to be involved in every aspect of my life. I want to acknowledge him. I want to acknowledge him in my, in my job. I want to acknowledge him in my family. I want to acknowledge him in my personal journey in this life. I, I want to acknowledge him in every area so that in everything that I do, I do it for him. I'm acknowledging him whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We do it for him. We acknowledge him. And when we live that kind of a life, he says, he'll make straight our paths. And when he makes straight our paths, when he leads us through this life, that's grace. Another view of grace is his discipline. His discipline in our life. Now, you might hear discipline and think, how in the world is that grace? I mean, you don't think about grace when you think about discipline. You think pain. You think about hurt. You think about spankings when you're growing up, right? You know, that's discipline. How is that grace? Hebrews chapter 12, back over there again, the writer there says this, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Think about his discipline in our lives. And discipline can look like a lot of things. The discipline of God. I do believe we can see it in Scripture. We can see the discipline of God for sin in our lives. We can see the discipline of God in just helping us and preparing us for what's going to happen down the road in our life. There's a lot of ways we can see discipline play out in our lives. But what I believe the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across is that in that discipline, in the times that we struggle, we feel the chastisement of God to know that he's doing it because he loves us. He's strengthening us, he's preparing us, and he's leading us through. Just like a parent, many of you as parents, you've disciplined your children. You did it because you love them and you want to train them up and to prepare them to be adults one day when they would make decisions on their own. To not discipline our children is to not love them. It's to not love them well. And so when we recognize and we see the discipline of God, and we're going through hard times. Number one, we always run to the cross. When we find ourselves in the, in the struggles and the trials and the discipline of God, always go to the cross. Remember what he did in Christ. And when we see the discipline of God through the lens of grace, that's grace. <laughs> the last one is this. As we go through the difficulties and the struggles of discipline in our life, we go through this Time. Sometimes those are the times that we see his presence better than ever. And that's the last one, the grace of his presence. His presence in our life. 
the Israelites, uh, follow their story, and uh, uh, after their exodus out of Egypt and, and their journey brings them to the outside of the promised land. If you know that old story, you know that God led them out and he's, he had this promise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to lead you in to the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like an orchard <laughs> and better. And so he... he brings them right to the outskirts of this promised land, and the Israelites send spies into the land, 12 spies go into the land. Remember the story? You probably remember the song, maybe. Uh, and they go into the land, and it is everything and more that they hope for, and they come back, and, and they describe how awesome it is. But 10 of the spies said, there's no way. No way we can do it. They're giants. They'll crush us. But two, Joshua and Caleb, Say, no, God is in this. God is going to lead us through. God is going to conquer them. Just trust in him. But the people weren't listening. And finally, Joshua and Caleb, over in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, they're pleading with them. And it says, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And here it is. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. We can do this. That day, the people chose not to believe. Instead, continued to complain. And they missed out on the blessing of the promised land. Because they missed his presence, his power, how he had led them to that place. Listen, God is with us. God is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. There are times in life when you struggle and it's hard and you wonder maybe at times, God, are you there? But he is. Sometimes you're going through discipline and he's, he may seem far off, but he's there. His presence is there. Don't miss him. Because his presence, his walking with you, with us through all of life's journey, through good and bad, his presence, that's grace. That's grace. Tori Noonley is the wife of a congressman from Mississippi. She has an incredible testimony, an incredible story. Her story, uh, as she tells it, she kind of begins at the age 14 when her dad walked out on their family and left them with nothing, literally nothing, really just debt. And she talks about how she watched her mom and watched her mom's faith just grow through that time, and she held fast to God. The age of 18, she was on a date, and her and her date were both kidnapped by a group of guys. They robbed a convenience store and all this stuff and took them out, and they brutally raped her in front of her boyfriend. The last guy, as he was about to leave, said, you count to 100 out loud, and you don't move until you're done. In her story, as she recounts this obviously traumatizing moment. 
She talks about how, as he began to leave, she grabbed his hand, and this is what she said to him, and she says, it surprised me as much as it surprised him. I don't care how high you get or how far you run. I want you to know God loves you, he forgives you, and so do I. Several years later, she met the man who had become her husband, Alan Noonley. Uh, they were married on April 10th, 1982, and they began to live a life that, uh, where 1 Thessalonians 5.18 was really their, their core verse through their life. It had been hers, and they'd adopted it as a family, and they, they just loved everyone they could. That's everybody that describes them. That's how they describe them, always welcoming people, them always serving others, and that's what led uh, Allen to run for Congress, and in 2010, he became a congressman from, from Mississippi, from the first district of Mississippi. It was in 2014 that Allen was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor. Things just hadn't been right, and they discovered this tumor, and it was very aggressive. And, and uh, here's how Alan responded to this to his wife, Tori. He just simply says, we don't know what is going on, but we are going to start by giving thanks. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we talked about it earlier, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. That, that was their verse and was their mantra through this time. And matter of fact, as people came into their, their uh, room at the hospital and would visit them, they gave them a little blue bracelet. Had that verse on there, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, because they wanted everybody to know they were thankful. On top of that, they had what they called thanks boards. And, and they would take these boards and they would write every day. They had to write one thing that they were thankful for. And they began to fill these boards up and they were around his hospital room and everybody saw them as they came in and saw their thanks boards. He had surgery and during that surgery he had a stroke and so months of rehabilitation until finally he was able, finally he was able to go back to Congress. Like nobody believed he would be able to, but he did. He made his way in, brought him in in a wheelchair. He insisted to stand at the podium, and they asked him to, to lead in the Pledge of Allegiance. And right before he led in the Pledge of Allegiance, he, he just simply said, I, I just want to share one thing before this time. And this is what he said in this moment. I know I sound different. I know I look different, but I'm not different in here, he said, pointing to his heart. I'm the same, Alan. When I was a little boy, I asked Jesus into my heart, and that has made the great difference in my life. I have learned through this process to give thanks in all circumstances. Tori and I are thankful for so many things. He named a few off his boards, and then he says, I'm not thankful for a brain tumor. I'm not thankful I had a stroke that I had to recover from. Tori and I are not thankful for the stroke, but we are thankful in it. I consider it a joy if I can walk this trial and set a light ahead for somebody else. And as one of his kids recounts this story, he said there was not a dry eye in the chamber that morning. What an example of looking at life, looking at all circumstances through the lens of grace. Grace shows up in all of life's circumstances. Some would argue that, but it's there. And as we continue to walk through this series, 
we want to open our eyes up to God's grace in our lives. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, he, he says it this way, If God can turn the death of Jesus into our salvation, he can do just about anything with whatever we're going through. And I believe that's right on point. Today, on your way in at all campuses, or, or if you didn't get one, you'll get it on your way out, but we have blue bracelets. Just says simply on there, grace is greater. We want to be wearing this, at least over the next five weeks as we go through this series, just to be a reminder that grace is greater. It's greater than all of our circumstances. And it might just be a good conversation starter. Hey, what's your little blue bracelet for? Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you about grace. And so if you didn't get one on the way in, be sure to get one on the way out. And we want to use these over the next several weeks. But we also want in this time to come into a time of communion. Uh, ask the ushers at all the campuses to get ready for communion. Because I believe grace looks like the cross. Maybe you've heard that, you heard that throughout the sermon a little bit. Grace looks like the cross. I think about what Jesus said over in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, when he has disciples, and he hadn't gone to the cross yet. And he says this. He says, and he, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Giving thanks. He's giving thanks for bread that represents his body that hasn't been broken yet. It's about to be broken. And yet he is able to look ahead through a lens of grace, recognizing that God is with him and God is going to see him through to the end. Grace looks like the cross. And that's why every week we take a moment to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. To remember his love, to remember his grace. Grace shows up in all circumstances, even a cross. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can worship, this time that we can remember this time that we can once again open our eyes to your grace, receiving from you what we don't deserve. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve your blessing. We don't deserve your power, your presence, your direction. God, we don't deserve any of it. But we are confident that by your grace, we receive it all and more. And so God, in this moment, may our eyes be open to you and your grace. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.